Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Gale to Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. To act otherwise. 6. Ethramel was glad to be out of the river's rest. The atmosphere quickly turned chilly after Zevo turned down Nicola's request and Carmagnola stormed off, with Beatrix hot on his heels. The elf was amused that the doctor's cursed ex-lover turned out to be decidedly normal, but he had no interest in getting in the middle of any lover's spat. So the sorcerer took his leave shortly after Carmagnola left. He grabbed his staff from his horse Enya in the stables before ducking into a shadowed alley a few streets away. He looked around for signs of black cloaks or townsfolk. There were neither. Good, he thought. No distractions to break my concentration. He took a deep breath and closed his eyes, just like Yana had taught him. Ethramel pictured the tower, standing solitary in the middle of a bog, with runic scribblings on its walls to keep Dwan out. He pictured all this clearly, and, after gathering power into the base of his staff, he tapped it against the cobblestones. A green circle ringed around Ethramel, scarcely larger than himself. The sorcerer kept his eyes closed, and fell to whoosh of air, and then complete silence. Ethramel opened his eyes and found himself in a small, dusty room with a single bed in the corner. The walls were made of stone, and there was a small window overlooking the bog. Ethramel grinned. He was in the top room of the Sorcerer Signet's Tower near Lonkoff, the town of Undying. He had teleported a few times since Yana taught him back in Crag Ross, but never to Signet's Tower. He was relieved with how simple it had been. Ethramel rested his staff against the bed and sat down. He stood back up just as quickly when he noticed that the bed was unmade. He looked at one of the wooden tables and saw that all of the books that had previously cluttered it were moved to the floor, scuffling downstairs. A few hushed whispers. Ethramel grabbed his staff and descended the stairs. The laboratory below looked just as he remembered it, complete with the metal rod and ball bolted into the middle of the room. A few of the tables had again been cleared of the dusty beakers and boxes of moldy reagents, and there were lit candles. Best come out, Ethramel called, or I'll burn this place to the ground. Shifting in a shadowy corner, two elves stepped out, man and woman. The man held a dagger, and the woman held her swollen stomach. Ethramel recognized them as members of Shenny's Scoriatel Commando from the outskirts of Kalmec, the elves still young enough to procreate. I remember you, the man said in elder speech with wide eyes. And I, you, Ethramel agreed in his mother tongue. Put the dagger down, kin. I won't harm you. Ethramel on tread, the she-elf said. 
and what are your names? Sodrain, the man said. Thema, the she-elf said. Well, Sodrain and Thema, you'd best tell me how you got into my tower. Thema squinted at Ethramel. Shenny said you extended the invitation. Any elves who wished to take refuge in Lonkoff could have access to your tower. She said you said no humans would go near it. And have any? A few black cloaks, Thema said, but they haven't tried to come in. Ethramel nodded, trying to look as wise as possible. Ah, so Nilfgaard's taken over the town of Undying, have they? The elves nodded. The sorcerer thought of Shenny's twin sister, the owner of the Golden Blouse Brothel. And is Enna okay? She's doing good business, Thema said with a look of disgust on her face. The black cloaks they garrisoned here are restless and looking for entertainment. Let's hope they don't get restless enough to venture into my tower, Ethramel thought. The runes he had scribbled onto the tower's walls looked intimidating enough, but were useless at repelling anyone. Did any other squirrels join you? Just us, Sodrain said. We try to keep quiet. Two elves from town, Adro and Raneth, deliver food twice a week. They said you left them a letter requesting they check up on the tower from time to time. They seemed surprised to find us here one day. Sodrain paused, then added, I think they're ex-Scoyatel, too. And they're helping any kin that occupy the tower, as I also asked, Ethermel thought. He remembered the two elves he met at the Horseshoe Tavern in Lonkoff. The sorcerer didn't know much about them then, but he had a feeling they were sympathetic to the Scoyatel and their cause, in the same way he had a feeling Signet's tower would be a useful hideout. And Enna is sympathetic to the cause as well, though how could she not when her twin sister leads a commando, Ethermel thought with a grin. I have built a nice little network here solely on gut instinct. Ethramel reached into his pocket and produced a sealed letter he had written back in Crag Ross. Next time you see Enna, would you mind giving her this? Sodrain took it and asked, What's in it? That's rude to ask, Thema said sharply. Indeed it is. She's to send it to a man named Colden Apteld in the nearby town of Kalmek. Do you understand? We do, Thema said. Good, then I'm off to bed. Need my rest to hunt a griffin in Tamaria. Sodrain looked confused, and Ethermel thought that his only use might be in his fertility. It certainly wasn't in his brains. I need your bed, Thema said. She again held her stomach. I'm not sleeping on the floor when I'm eight months pregnant. There'll be no arguments about that. Ethermel opened his mouth to argue on reflex, but decided to close it. After all, wasn't he trying to help his people repopulate? He said as much in his letter to Colden that the Scoyatel and Southern Edern are to be treated kindly, resupplied, and given rest. Ethramel had a feeling Colden, the Nilfgaardian half-elf, would be sympathetic. In exchange, he would provide Colden with information about Edonian troop movements along the Mahakam Pass into Tamaria. Very well, Ethramel said. He flicked his wrist at Sodrain. Go get the bed and bring it down here for your lady. Come now, I won't wait all night. Sodrain paused and padded upstairs. Thema sat down and sighed, kicking her feet up on the table. Ethramel smiled. He had a hunch he'd be pleasantly surprised with what he found in Lonkoff. He was glad his instincts were right. For once. 7. They strode into the room, dragging a bloodied sack. The castellan of Poppy Fields, a nebbish man, nearly jumped in his seat when Beatrix plopped a basilisk's head onto the desk. She dropped into the seat opposite and put her feet up on the table hands resting behind her head. Carmignola stood behind her, hands on her shoulders. They were both grinning. I see her, the castellan said. 
that you killed the basilisk. Beatrix nudged the monster's head with her boot. It looked remarkably like a lizard, Carmagnola thought. He didn't think that when they were fighting the basilisk. He didn't think anything then, other than he wanted it dead. Your vision does you credit, Beatrix said. Was it difficult? the Castellan asked. Beatrix flipped the curly hair that Carmagnola loved running his hands through. Not for Beatrix and Carmagnola, famed monster-hunting duo. It's Carmagnola and Beatrix, actually, the doctor said. Don't you think that sounds better, Castellan? I keep telling Beatrix that her name ends on a harder syllable, so it should go second. And I keep telling Carmagnola that the one who does most of the work should get their name first. Beatrix tilted her head back and grinned at the doctor. Do you know how many times I've patched you up? Don't come to me next time a foglet slices your thigh. Remember how you howled when... Castellan, which do you think sounds better? Beatrix and Carmagnola, or the other one? The Castellan of Poppy Fields blinked. Well, I, um, I think both sound nice. Pity, Beatrix said. We'll take our payment now. Beatrix stretched her arms to the sky as they stepped into the street. Carmagnola couldn't help but notice how that accentuated her ass. She glanced back and caught him staring. Carmagnola coughed and made a show of whistling and looked away. Well, where to next, doctor? Beatrix asked. She was asking which town they should head towards next. She always asked that, after they had killed a monster and collected their pay. And Carmagnola always had the same answer. Wherever we feel like, he said. He grinned and added, But first, I'd like to take you back to our room. Beatrix winked. We'll lead the way, doctor, since you're so keen. 8. The sun rose over the blue mountains in the east. Zevo's yellow eye dilated at the brightness. He licked his cracked lips and tried to spit, but his mouth was dry. He drank too much last night, after Beatrix returned to the river's rest alone, and she and Nicola took their leave. Jeremiah left quickly after, and Carmagnola never returned. So Zevo drank alone. That was fine with him. The hunters didn't try to approach him either. They just settled for stealing a few glances and whispering to each other. That was fine with him as well. He didn't feel like listening to people call him a mutant to his face. All of the rooms were booked at the river's rest, so Zevo settled in Diavol's cramped stable, creating a small pillow of hay for his back as he sat against the wall and meditated all night. The morning sun came too soon, and Zevo had a dull headache. Diavol nickered as he stood up and stretched. Zevo patted the creature's neck and said, I know, I know. I'll try to get us back on the road soon assuming these amateur monster hunters don't muck everything up. He was pleased to see Jeremiah, Ethramel, and Carmagnola waiting outside of the river's rest, dressed in their new Mahakam armor. They had been traveling together long enough, it seemed, that some things no longer needed to be said between them. A few groups of hunters were also leaving the inn. Zevo scowled at them as they passed. Arthur of Garamore stumbled out of the river's rest, dressed in more muted clothes, but armed with little more than a dagger, a Gabriel Hand crossbow, and his loot. He grinned at everyone. Glad I'm not late. What's the plan, Zevo? Jeremiah asked. We'll follow your lead on this. We're going to the Tilt Farmstead, the Witcher said without hesitation. We may be able to pick up some clues from the dead farmer's family. Zevo didn't add that he had no interest in following the lemmings blindly bumbling into the foothills. The Tilt Farmstead was northeast of town, on the other side of the Ismena River. They ferried across it and walked for an hour. Zevo was pleased to see no other hunters either ahead of or behind them. 
But why would they? Sevo thought sourly. None of them know the first thing about monsters. The only thing they're good at is stealing my work. They reached a wooden fence that surrounded a small house and a large barn. A dozen cows grazed in the field. A teenaged girl was herding a few cows back to the barn. Sevo shrugged and stepped over the fence. Do you have a moment? The witcher asked. The pockmarked girl looked at the five of them suspiciously and spat. More hunters looking to go after that plowing griffin? Aye, Sevo said. Have others come by already? Two groups, the girl said. Arthur cleared his throat. Would one of them happen to be a group of two? An eye-patched woman and a man who looks like a golem? The girl nodded. Ethermel chuckled and said to Zevo, It seems Carmoniola's ex and that dull lump got the drop on us. The doctor scowled. He had dark, purple bags under his eyes. Zevo ignored them both and focused on the task at hand. What did you share with them? The girl spat again. That monster killed my pa, so I want it dead more than anyone. But I'm getting tired of answering strangers' questions about how that thing swooped in and killed him. So why don't you sod off? I understand, Zevo said, though he didn't. But I'm a witcher, so that means I have the best chance of killing this thing for you. Those others who stopped by are likely to get killed one way or another. Griffins are dangerous, and only a professional can handle them. He tried to smile, but didn't know how well it came across given the girl's look of disgust. So help me handle it. The girl stared at Zevo. I've heard story about witchers. Are they true? Every single one of them. Good. The girl reached into her pocket and pulled out a large feather. This fell from the griffin as it flew off with my paw. Can you learn anything from it? Zevo could. The feather was nearly the length of his forearm, which meant the griffin was fully grown. The feather was dark brown in the center, with lighter coloring at the edges. The griffin was female. A male's feathers had a reddish hue. Which direction did she fly off? Zevo asked. The girl pointed to the Mahakam Mountains, further north than Senli Op Bryn had indicated. That put a smile on Zevo's face. Most of the hunters would be out of their way, getting lost in another part of the mountain. Is there anything else we should know? Zevo said. The girl shrugged. Just that my ma would barely leave her bed. I think seeing the griffin's head would cheer her up some. I know it would me. Then you best come by the town square when it's done. Thanks for the help. They lost a few more hours looking along the base of the foothills for a trail. The sun burned brightly in the sky by the time Ethermel shouted in triumph. He indicated a handful of broken branches high up in a nearby tree. From the griffin, he asked. Might be, Zevo grunted. There was no clear path into the foothill, so he stepped over a rock, steadied himself against the tree trunk, and continued along. He stumbled as a few loose stones gave way beneath his feet, but he moved up slowly and surely. The others followed. The witcher led as he rounded a large rock jutting from the ground. The first thing he saw was a large print stamped into the hard-packed earth, a print in the shape of a bird's talon. It confirmed Zevo's suspicion that the griffin was full-grown. The second thing the witcher saw, a hair too late, was a brown-skinned man sitting on a nearby rock, munching on an apple. No need to reach for your sword, I mean you no harm, the man said through a mouthful of apple. He had black, curly hair, and wore a dark green leather tunic. His face was partially painted green as well. He blended expertly into the scenery. Well, we won't mean you any harm either, Jeremiah said. What's your name? Devry, the man said. Of Verdon. Sevo grunted. Verdon was a small kingdom west of Tamaria 
and south of Sidorus. It had a reputation for fostering fierce hunters and trackers. Ah, Nilfgaard's newest vassal state, Carmoniola said. How did it feel when King Kistrin the Capitulator gave up your kingdom without a fight? Didn't feel like nothing, Devry said. We was already in Temeri when that happened, though I suppose being a citizen of Nilfgaard has its perks in this town. Besides, it's not like we had any choice in the matter. Kingly politics are beyond people like us, just trying to make enough coin to survive. And I'm sure you'd like that 1,200 crowns all to yourself, Arthur said. It'd be split three ways, actually. Devry tossed the apple core away, and the brush shook behind him. Two more hunters, a man and a woman, similarly dressed and camouflaged, stepped out, bows at their side. Devry motioned to them both and said, Asilla and Avon, both of Verdon, of course. Nice to meet you, Asilla said. She pointed to the griffin's print. It's a big one, eh? It is, Zevo said flatly. I suggest you not tangle with it, unless you like wearing your innards. Ain't in a habit of arguing with a witcher when it comes to monsters, Devry said. You can pass. Truth be told, we're not too keen on traveling up that way. A pair of hunters passed by us, and we figured we'd let them have first crack at it. Either they kill the griffin and we don't get injured, or they die trying and wear the beast down some. Either way, we win. Zevo didn't fancy leaving his back exposed to three Verdinian hunters, but he had no interest in burning daylight gabbing with them either. He grunted and motioned for the others to follow. Best of luck on the hunt, Avin said. Fuck them, Zevo muttered. He looked to Ethramel. It would be wise to keep an eye on our backs. I had the same idea, the sorcerer said. You just watch off front. The foothills became steeper, and the four of them had to start scaling pocked rocks to continue along. After an hour of climbing, Zevo noticed dried white scat on a few of the stones. He told everyone to wait when they reached a rocky plateau and picked up a crumbling piece of scat with his diminished left hand. He inhaled deeply. Shit, he muttered. Yes, it is, Ethermel said. No, it's harpy shit. Zevo looked to the rocky plateaus above them. They're probably nesting above us. Harpies, Arthur repeated. As in, beautiful winged women that populate so many ballads and stories? Harpies are not beautiful, Zevo said, and neither are sirens while we're at it. They're vicious monsters who will fly around to wear you down before they claw your eyes out. He looked at Ethramel. They're susceptible to fire, though. Good to know, the sorcerer said. Any idea where the nest might be? No, but let's move carefully until we find out. They continued climbing. Zevo made it a point to go first. They climbed two more plateaus and found nothing but more scat. Zevo peeked over the third plateau, however, and saw what he was hoping he wouldn't. Gathered around the small mouth of a cave were three large bird nests made of dry twigs. Two women sat in each of these nests, though women wasn't the right word. Zevo had dealt with harpies before, and he was always amazed at how much more bird-like they looked than the stories led on. The creatures were humanoid and had bare breasts, sure, but their eyes were black orbs, their mouths and noses sharp beaks, their feet black talons, and their elongated arms and backs covered in dirty and dull gray feathers. And harpies, Zevo knew from experience, were dangerous. They were fortunate they got a drop on the creatures. Zevo heard a clatter from below. He looked down and saw that Ethramel had slipped on a loosened rock that tumbled to the plateau beneath them. He gave the witcher a sheepish smile. Zevo grunted and looked back. All six harpies had their eyes trained on him.
that'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Sapkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at Tales Witcher Pod on X or at talesfromthewitcher.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.